0: Welcome to the Awake Church podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. All right, Uh, I'd like to give you a little bit of an update related to property type of things. Um... I had mentioned several months ago that we had, uh, we've had since 2006, we've had land that we were originally going to build on and then um, we decided not to and felt like it was best to, to find something else. Of course, we purchased separate land with, with buildings. But the land that we have, uh, we've been praying about it selling and it has been for sale for over a decade and has not sold. And one piece of it sold. 11 years or so ago right when we needed it the very most actually it was 10 years ago um, Which helped us from going in the red It was perfect timing when we were doing the outfit for this building right here and uh, Since then nothing has sold and and now that we are looking towards something else. We just put it in the Lord's hands Would you would you do this? Uh, If this is the right time or if you want to keep it, we'll keep it and use it for other things. Well uh A couple of weeks ago, we sold one piece, um, just over an acre. We had actually people competing for this. And now, uh, this last week, we just uh, signed a contract on another 25 acres to be sold at the end of mid-November. Yeah, thank you, Lord, which is amazing because what that will do is give us a good amount of the cash that we're going to need for the next loan. So the Lord knows all this, and I'm just so grateful uh, the Greens have been helpful in, in this, and uh, it's just uh, amazing how God has done this. So uh, that money has come, we sh- that should net between both pieces uh, right around two hundred forty five dollars to $250,000 for, for the church to go toward the next loan. So we don't know how much of a down payment we'll need, but that is clearly God is in this and is helping us with this. So amazing. Not I mean, not one offer in 10 years, and then competing offers, and then the other one sold. So just, just incredible, the Lord's doing this. Yeah, thank you, Lord. So, uh, and, and everything on the, the, the building that we purchased, the properly purchased, is really coming together. There have been hurdles that the Lord has enabled us to get over so far. All of, all of those things coming together. I want to say thank you. For two weeks ago, we had about 50 people from here helping on our third church workday, uh, getting dirty, Raking, shoveling out there in the, in the heat. We had people grinding uh, the light poles, cutting wood, uh, running equipment. Um, Sean and his team demoed one of our spaces that we had all kind of junk in it. It was a dry cleaner, and now that's emptied out so that we can rent that. And just uh, want to say thank you to all of those who helped, who served, who labored. Yes, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. So a lot is going on there. We'll, you'll see, actually the front is, is done painting now. Uh, they're working on the back right now. You're gonna see in the next couple of months, new awnings going on, which will really make it look nice. The light poles will get painted. Um, the landscaping that so many of you helped with is really in a good place right now. And then we'll need to um, reseal and restripe the parking lot soon. That will really make it pop and, and look beautiful. But people are noticing. Um, you may even have people that you know that are saying something to you. We got people stopping by, asking questions. What's going on here? Who are you guys? You're doing, you know, this looks so beautiful. So it's a huge change. The neighborhood is recognizing the change. And we're, we're pretty excited. We have people wanting to become tenants as well. So uh, some of the spaces that we have, there's almost like a backlog for them. So there's, it's really, really a great thing what the Lord is doing there. And that will help us toward the next loan as well. The more tenants that we can get in there, um, it's just going to be really, really helpful. Uh, drawings are being worked on, finalized architectural drawings for the upfit work that we're, we need to do, and then we need to obtain the financing. I'm working on all those things right now. Ask for your help, your prayers for all those things to take place. As the Lord is helping us, just that everything would work out. He knows He's got purpose for us. It's it's just a building, but buildings do have an importance. Uh, you're the most important, but. The Lord wants us to have a place that we can uh, celebrate Him, use for ministry, uh, have a safe place, and I just, I'm excited about what he's, what he's doing. So that's just a little bit of an update there. Thank you. Our, our plan, just as a reminder, is to have financing in place, uh, and it wouldn't it be great if the Lord just gave us all the money so we didn't have to get financing. Now, we'll, we'll take that. Some people have had that feeling Lord would do that, so Lord, we just ask, may all the money come in. Uh, one of the things we've asked for and actually applied for is a grant for about $500,000, which would be free. So we'll, we'll know here in October as that progresses if that money will actually come to us. However the Lord wants to do it, we'll take it. Um, but we want to move forward toward, toward this place. So um, the plan is to have the money or financing in place so that we can start no later than January 1st on the upfit. We're looking at about a 22-week upfit, so that we would move in uh, next June. So that's the that's the plan. If all goes well, please pray that all will go well there. So, all right, that's uh, that's the update. I want to transition over into part two of what I started last week. Uh, start talking about Christian history uh, from the time of Jesus till today, and what has happened throughout this time frame. I, I focus especially on the first 1,300 years or so during the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, the, the, the beginning, the first 300 years of great persecution and the church growing and uh, spreading across the world. Um, and, and now I want to talk about the last 500 years or so, especially since the Reformation and what the Lord has done. And so there's so much for us to learn. And, and, and I mentioned this last week, too, that one of the, the, the commandment with the promise in the beginning in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments, was to honor your fathers and mothers that it may go well for you. And I think it's not just an honoring of our natural fathers and mothers, though that is absolutely real, but I think there's an honoring of our spiritual fathers and mothers and those who have paved a way, carried a torch, who have lived and died with faith, that there's an an honoring of them. There's Uh, As as Hebrews says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And I I think they can, in some way, see what is going on with what they've left behind. And it says they aren't complete in one sense with what God put on their heart without us fulfilling what they left behind for us to do, to carry the torch further. We go together because it's one body. Those who have died and those who are alive, we're all one body of His over time, stretching out over these thousands of years. It's amazing that we get to, we're a part of something much larger than a little fellowship. We're a part of something huge, the body of Christ worldwide throughout history. So we have a part to play. Awake church, this fellowship has a part to play. You individually have a part to play. So I want to talk a little bit about what has happened recently, or when I say recently, in the last 500 years, so that we can learn from these things. Uh, One of the things that is never good is when we don't learn from history. Whether it's Christian history, whether it's natural history, whether it's for a country, man, we want to learn from the mistakes so we don't do those mistakes all over again. So thankful for the scriptures. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't have any history to lean on. Right? Everything was brand new. But yet we can learn from what they did and go, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not going to choose my own way. I'm going to choose God instead. Uh, we can learn from Israel. In fact, Paul said that's part of what the scriptures are for. This history is to learn from what happened with Israel in the wilderness so that we don't do the same things. Same, make the same mistake. So Let's learn a little bit about what has happened. And uh, let me add a little context again to even the first 13, 1,500 years from Jesus is that when Jesus came to the earth as a man living in the body of flesh, being fully God and fully man at the same time, doesn't make sense to us fully, but it really happened. He came into the world that was ruled the the religious world that was ruled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were very strict. They didn't have necessarily, and can't say this for every one of them, but most of them did not have a relationship with God. They were uh, serving the law. And rules were super important. And they had, over time, added to the Ten Commandments 613 more rules. And regulations, 613, just kept adding more and more things. So they added to what God had given, and those rules were, it was all about enforcing those. And then over time, they changed their dress and their appearance, so now they're wearing these certain robes with phylacteries and things mounted to their forehead with leather wrapped around it with the Word of God on the inside. And then one guy would feel like he was more important than another, so he would have a larger phylactery, start looking like unicorns, and they'd have the... Because it was about appearance, became about appearance. Jesus, and Jesus addressed all of those things. You remember that. He was, he was not happy with what had happened with the religious world and what they'd done with the words of God. Like the heart that David had that said, that God said, This is a man after my own heart. They had strayed from that and they were all about law and rules and appearance. And that all those things combined turned into control, controlling, and that they are the special elite class and everyone else not quite as special. And that's basically the realm, the era that Jesus entered into. And he went after that at the root. Reading Matthew 23 so clear when he, he really goes through there and goes after them, some of the things that he blasted them for were loving places of honor and chief seats and respectful greetings and to be called rabbi while dressed up in their clothing that distinguished them from others. He called them hypocrites, devourers of widows' houses. He said, you make long prayers, but they're not earnest prayers. He called them blind guides, no justice or mercy. We're interested in justice or mercy. They're interested in law. He said, you look good on the outside but inside, you're full of self-indulgence and dead men's bones. You're dead on the inside. Your heart's not alive. It's not in love with God. He called them whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers, killers of prophets, and killers of the wise. So Jesus confronts them, and then he goes after, their, basically in some ways, he takes the 613 additional commandments that they added, and he reduces even the 10 commandments and the 613, what's that, 623, he reduces to two. He said, here's my commandments. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and he said another one that's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when it says, when Jesus says later, obey my commandments, what are his commandments? Those two. These are his commandments, to love God with all. Now, if you are gonna love God with all, and you are going to love people as yourself, you're going to automatically do the rest of the 10 commandments that God gave initially. You're not gonna covet, you're not gonna murder, you're not gonna commit adultery, all those things, because you're loving God in his ways. So Jesus, a, confronts the religious spirit and then he gives he presents here is heart i'm this is about the heart he gives us these two so that's the, the world that jesus entered and what he did well when you fast forward after he the church is birthed the holy spirit comes he's inside of all these new believers his body now this thing called this uh living organism called the body of Christ exists and it starts going and living and is to do the works of Jesus and be the light of the world. And it was for the first 300 years persecuted, spread around the world, missionaries everywhere, making disciples, growing people, schools um, of thought related to Christianity are are growing. The world is becoming changed, but they're they're also persecuted severely for those first 300 years. And then a change starts to take place. Once the government, the Roman Empire, starting with Constantine, gets involved, they meld together with the church, the state over the church, and things start to change. A mixture begins. After so many great things had happened, this slow mixture starts. And over the next thousand years, what we see is a huge change where the purity of what Jesus gave, the simplicity of loving God with all and loving our neighbor as ourselves, that fades away and it turns into a whole lot of other things. One is an institutionalization where the government basically controls everything, gives the positions for church leaders. And you can buy them over this period of time. If you wanted a position in the church, you could buy your way in. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a follower of Christ. You just have to have money. All that started to take place. The dress changed from being normal to then being separate. Very similar. It's like a replay of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's like, it's like, all, it's like not learning from history. And this suddenly comes back around in a new cycle with similarity. A harshness. Um, they self-appointed themselves as this elite class, and then they create a pope who is infallible. Now, Jesus never said anything like that. And then, not only with the clothes and the positions and the infallibility, but now these the priests can't marry. You can't have a wife, and it just continues on and on. And then the scripture becomes illegal. We don't want anybody else reading the scripture, only the priests, only the bishops, only those in the clergy, because the laity, they can't handle it because they won't interpret it right. They'll misinterpret it, so we need to interpret everything for them. We don't want them reading. In fact, it became illegal to, to read the Bible. Imagine that becoming illegal. Plus, during the Dark Ages, the literacy rate was about 10%. So most people couldn't read anyway. And then indulgences. Remember reading about those, learning about them? Indulgences, which were sold as a way to raise money for several different things. The Catholic Church in Rome, St. Peter's Basilica, they were raising, at the time of Martin Luther, they were raising money for that, and they would come into these villages and say, okay, your relatives that have died, they're stuck in purgatory. The Catholics, they created this, realm called purgatory, which, again, isn't necessarily scriptural. And they said once they die, they're there to get purified of their sins. But if you'll give money today, special deal. If you give today, in fact, once there was a little jingle that these guys would say, when the coin rings in the plate, one of your relatives springs from purgatory. So that was this little phrase that started to go out. So they were getting money to cleanse sins from people stuck in purgatory. so they Now, of course, people who, in many ways, uneducated, they don't have a Bible to read, they don't understand this. They're like, oh my goodness, yes, I love my, my family that died. I want to I free them. They didn't understand that, what the indulgences meant, uh, what the reality was. The church at that point owned about 40%, this is around the 1500s, owned about 40% of the land because they had conquered And then the church took over the land. It was all, they were very wealthy. The leaders were very wealthy. They kept the poor, very poor, very controlling. Control was an earmark. If you disagreed, you were denounced. If you didn't agree fully with everything the Pope said or the bishops say, then you were denounced. You were disciplined. Sometimes you were killed. And we have a lot of history of a lot of deaths that happened with this control. And it was like a replay, again, of the Pharisees and Sadducees from much earlier. And always, throughout time, there have been really good-hearted people who really do love God in every system. Many amazing people in the Catholic system during all these years. Some of them, not only in that system, many really good people had to go things alone. Many of them were Waldensians. Started by Peter Waldo, who just had a passion for God, but he didn't care for this system. And some of them were um, monastic, chose a uh, monastic lifestyle and went out because they didn't want to be a part of that. So you've got, there were always, there's always been this remnant of people who really did love God from their heart. And oftentimes they were stuck in this system, not knowing what to do. That's always been the case. And the gospel was buried. And then, as I mentioned briefly last week, that some of the beginnings of change started with John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, brilliant guy, called the Morning Star of the Reformation. He was a teenager during the Black Plague. As the Black Plague ended, he kind of rose and promised, and he could read Latin. And at that point, they had, Jerome's Vulgate was really the only scriptures they had. It was in Latin. He's reading it and going, oh my goodness, Everybody needs to read this. And he had the very first translation of the Bible into English. Thank you, John. The very first translation of the Bible into English. And it started to change people who could read and they're reading the Bible for themselves. They recognize what's, this is really wrong, what's going on with the church. This is messed up. And of course, that caused a lot of problems with the church. They went after him. Um, and here, here's a, a statement by the Catholic Church after John Wycliffe started to translate the, ba- the Bible. They said, quote, By this translation, the scriptures have become vulgar, and they are more available to lay people and even to women who can read, than they than that excuse me, than they were to learn scholars who have a high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine. There's the official church statement related to the Bible being translated into something in the English so that the lay people could read it. So you could see how far off uh, the church had, had become. John was condemned a heretic. In fact, after he died of natural causes, 43 years later after John Wycliffe died, the church was so angry because he lit a fire. And these copies were getting spread all over the place. And people were coming to faith, real faith. And they're also recognizing the things that were wrong with the Catholic church. As this happened, 43 years after his death, they're so angry at what he did, they dug up his grave and burned his bones. But here's what they did. They took the, the ashes of the burned bones and they threw it in this river called the Swift River, which turned into the Avon River, which turned into the sea. And it was a prophetic picture of what John did that would spread throughout the earth. You can't stop what God wants to do, right? That's what happened to John Wycliffe. And now today, in fact, I used to, before moving here, we lived in a little town called Waxhaw, North Carolina. And next door, two miles from us, is one of the Wycliffe Bible translator bases. So Wycliffe translators, they are from John Wycliffe. And they have been translating the scriptures into all kinds of languages for people around the world still today. There are 7,000 languages in the world today, and they've they've translated uh, about 3,000-plus languages, not just Wycliffe, but some other groups. So we still have over 3,000 languages to translate into to give the Scriptures to every language on the planet. But it's happening so quickly right now with new technology and what we're able to do. How about this? They, all the translators around the world, Wycliffe translators for one of them, they're anticipating that by the year 2033, the whole world will have the scriptures in their own language. Now that is part of a fulfillment of what God is doing in the earth through his church, his body, so that all can hear the words of God and be free. Pretty amazing. And of course, when John Wycliffe The fire that he started caught one of those sparks, one of the embers landed in the heart of John Hus, who lived in the 1400s. And he took that and ran with it too and said, yes, everybody needs the scriptures. Yes, let's worship the true God. The Pope is not God. Let's follow the real king. And he started to teach. Well, he was burned at the stake. As he was burning, he said something. He prophesied. And his last name, Hus, in check, means goose. So here's what he prophesied. He said, you can cook this goose, but within a century, a swan shall arise who shall prevail. He prophesied that. Then he died. And the uh, several people who loved the teachings of Hus became known as Hussites, and they started to spread, which is really where the Moravians came from. And they spread throughout Europe, Moravia, and the Czech Republic, and all over the place. And a 100 years later, actually 102 years later, this young monk who got saved by reading Romans one seventeen, that the just live by faith, and he had a conversion experience named Martin Luther. 102 years later, after Hus's burning and prophesized this, Martin Luther nails the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door. The swan had arrived, and he saw himself. He knew the prophecy of John Huss, and he saw himself. He recognized, this is me. This is me that he was prophesying. As he carried this word, and he started to... Really, the 95 Theses were just questions. He, wanted, he was protesting the sale of indulgences, primarily, and several other things. He had 95 issues that he had with the Roman Church, Roman Catholic Church, and he wanted to have a, a debate. So he was protesting what they were doing. But that turned into also a fire that started going all over the place and ignited really, in many ways, a revival. And several other things happened. Um, that protest, though, the word Protestant, you know the root word in there, protest, They were known as the protesters, Protestants. They were protesting the Catholic Church. And then other people, the Lord had really rose up during that period. John Gutenberg, who invented the printing press, he was a believer. The first book ever printed on his printing press was the Bible. Pretty amazing. That started to then, that changed everything. Well, you've got a printing press. You don't just have someone that's taking a year plus to... Transcribed. Now it's chung, That 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 really changed a lot of things. And then very, very few, or excuse me, several other known leaders during this Reformation period. William Tyndale, another guy from England, translated the Bible in English from Hebrew and Greek for the first time, not just from Latin. Zwingli, one of the when you think of the Reformation, usually three people come to mind. Uh, of course, Martin Luther. But Zwingli would be another one, and then John Calvin. Zwingli was Swiss. Um, He read the Scriptures himself, came to his own conclusions, really uh, took steps forward with this Reformation teaching and doctrine and uh, going back to what Jesus said and the authority of the Scriptures. Didn't believe that the Pope had all authority. So he moved forward, but then he, he also died by the sword, which... Uh, there was so much disagreement with these re- reformers amongst themselves. In fact, Martin Luther wouldn't even shake hands with Zwingli because of some of the things he believed about communion that he didn't agree with. So he didn't see him as a brother. So even though they each had some revelation themselves, they were becoming free themselves in some ways, in other ways, they were still bound. And they were, tr- you know, it was a process that they were. Getting, getting free. John Calvin, prolific writer, leader in Geneva, Switzerland. He was rising. Of course, John uh, wrote a lot of good things, but I disagree with him in many things as well. Um, he wrote a lot about predestination, uh, but his lifestyle, he was, he was a, a huge mixture. Um, he oversaw the torture of at least 58 people, one of them to death. Because they didn't believe. Like John Calvin, uh, as he was, he was really over the city of Geneva, if you didn't show up on church on Sunday, like today, and he found out that you were home, he would send people to go get you and they'd take you to the public square and flog you with whips for not attending church. That is the harshness of some of the reformers. Zwingli was similar in that He believed, he still held to the Catholic belief of baptism as an infant through sprinkling. Well, some of his people in his home group, basically, um, Mons was his name, Felix Mons, uh, an amazing guy, really. uh, He and a guy named Conrad Grable, they really got lit up as they were reading the scriptures and being filled with the spirit of God. And they said, you know, it looks like here in the Bible that we need to be immersed fully in water. And Zwingli said, no. So much so, this disagreement between people in his own home group, that he had Felix Mons drowned. He said, if that's what you believe, then let me baptize you. And they drowned him in the river, leading into, uh, if you go to Zurich, I've been there. You can see they have a little place next to the river where Felix Mons was drowned by Zwingli. And they started to kill people who believed in full water immersion, the, the, the Protestants, who just came out of this persecution and this terror from the Catholic Church, and this control, and they started to the same things to everyone else who didn't believe exactly how they believed. It's not good, there was a huge mixture. So uh, we, we owe Lutheran, and Zwingli and Calvin a lot in one sense, at the same time, we wanna learn they were a mixture. We need to learn from, the, in fact, another thing about Martin Luther was he was very anti-Semitic. Uh, he did not have a love for the Jewish people, blamed them for a lot. In fact, he, some of the things he wrote about the Jews and what should be done to them, Hitler, because Martin Luther was German, Hitler grabbed the writings of Martin Luther and helped form his belief and system toward exterminating the Jews. That came from Martin Luther. Huge mix. So he gets a hold of the just shall live by faith, has a born again experience, but his belief system was not um, renewed. His mind was not renewed, all the way. The scriptures in its entirety did not come to him, and that, we see that throughout history, people being huge mixtures of some really good and then some horrible, and we find that with the uh, with our reformers as well. And very few of this is ever talked about, but we want to learn from it. It's like reading the scriptures with Israel and the mistakes they made in the wilderness. To talk about the mistakes they made isn't a horrible thing. Let's say, let's not do the same thing they did. So it's the same thing with those in the, who are believers, who are Christians. Let's learn from what they they did wrong. Okay. One historian said that once the Reformation started, that the reformers, Felix Mons and Grable and these guys who believed in full water immersion, they started being called uh, Anabaptists. Although they didn't call themselves that. That was what they were called. But they saw themselves as the Swiss brethren or the unity of the brethren, basically. And as the reformers started killing these guys, they killed thousands of them. One historian said there were more Anabaptists really believers just like you and I, that were killed by the reformers Then the Roman um, army killed first, second, and third century Christians. All those Christians who who were killed, persecuted in the first 300 years, the reformers killed more than that of their own brethren, They exchanged the Catholic system for another control system. If you're not going to believe I'm going to believe, then I'm going to kill you. That was the harshness and the reality of what was happening in the 16th century. And then wars started between Catholic Church and Protestants called the European Religious Wars. There were eight of them, leading to the deaths of 10 million people. 10 million people. This is, uh, you know, Jesus talked about We're gonna read this here in a moment about the church being one, united in faith. Well, we had a ways to go as we're basically killing each other. If you don't believe the way that I believe, um, and I understand uh, particularly the Protestants wanting to get out from underneath the grip of the Catholic church, the Roman Empire, but there's just a lot of killing that that took took place. And so we can learn a lot from, from this. Some of the things we can learn 2 Corinthians 10.5 is that our war is not with flesh and blood. That's important for us as believers. The ultimate war is not a fleshly war. It is against powers and principalities in heavenly places. It's against the enemy. so that we're not to ever see one another as the enemy. And that same spirit, that religious spirit tries to seep into the church today to see one another as the enemy, to see someone in a different denomination as the enemy. We've got to reject those thoughts. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are a brother and a sister in this body called the body of Christ where Jesus is at the head. So I can can learn to appreciate someone in another denomination. Let's appreciate what the truth that they have. Not look down, not wish, uh, not want to have anything to do with them. Wish evil upon them. All that's that craziness that has keeps going on and on and on. We can learn that, regardless of persecution that's happening, we need to stay true to Jesus. Learn that through the first three centuries of believers. I mean, that's when I think of the mark on them is they stayed true regardless of the persecution. You know what? They didn't even complain about the persecution. They were not blasting the Roman Empire. Jesus was not blasting the Roman Empire. You ever thought about that? They were basically controlled by the Roman Empire, the Caesars and King Herod and all these guys, and Jesus was not railing against them. An unjust, corrupt government. Instead, he was focused on, let's be the kingdom and spread the kingdom here in the midst of this. That's important for us to learn in the day that we're in because government tends to get worse and worse over time. And even in this, in this country, some things that we have seen that were freedoms and we have been given now 250 plus years of amazing freedom, not for everybody, for African-Americans, it's taken, you know, we had, they haven't had as much of that freedom. But as we've gone forward, we've progressed in many ways. We have an amazing freedom right now to even have this meeting right now for me to be speaking, not thrown in prison, for us to worship and have the word. We have freedoms that centuries before, our brothers and sisters never had. At the same time, I don't doubt that those who don't know the Lord, government will try and control and control more and more. And so in the midst of that, I wanna make sure I don't focus my efforts on blasting and railing against that as much as we are to be the light of the world in the midst of it. I've found a lesson in history and that is if most of my effort is on what I'm against, then I am completely missing all that I'm for. And when the church uh, forgets what it's for, like Jesus, salvation, baptism, freedom, deliverance, filled with the Spirit. When we don't focus on those things and we focus on what we are against, then we become ineffective in the era that we live in. We miss the very things that we're here to do and be liked. Daniel, you can see his life, similar. Man, oh man, corrupt king Nebuchadnezzar, he's serving. And he's not railing against him, he just... He's just doing the right thing right where he is. He's gonna be strong, he's gonna be light. So our brothers and our sisters around the world are not our enemy, regardless of what denomination they are a part of. If they name the name of Jesus, hold him high, then they are a brother and a sister. Jesus said in John 17, his prayers, last prayer before going to the cross, that they may all be one that the world may believe that you sent me. Then he says it again, he prays. Lord, that they may all be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. The prayer of Jesus was a unity among his body. And I think in part, before he returns, that is a part of his prayer that has to get answered. That we would see each other as just as important as ourselves, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. His body. This is important for you and I to carry that and to make sure that we are in that, having that same heart, having that unity toward one another. And then the Moravians, of course, I talked about, came from the Hussites in the 1700s. Zinzendorf was a leader there to help, help them along the way. And then since the Reformation, we now have if you can believe this, 30,000 denominations. The body of Christ has turned into 30,000 denominations on the planet. And I understand uh, the reason for some of these, for sure. But oftentimes what I was just talking about, instead of being uniting around what we're for, we tend to separate based on what we're against. And so if you do something a certain way, then I'm gonna separate because I don't like that certain way and that certain thing, so... Let me do this thing and focus on this thing. And that had just happened so much, but boy, the Lord wants a renewing of the hearts of his body in this earth. That we would be for one another, love one another, and obviously before him more than anything else. In these, with these 30,000 denominations, there have also been some amazing things that have happened as truth, I would say, is being restored more and more and more from the first century of what Jesus gave us. You can see, I mean, the beautiful, amazing things that have happened. I think in my lifetime, these 50-plus years of what has happened in the church around the world, some, I would say, many, many more great things than bad things. And we've had these great awakenings that have happened, four of them in our own country. The first one happened in the 1740s with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Of the 300,000 inhabitants on, in America in the 1700s, 50,000 met the Lord during this, time, this awakening. That's incredible. Started coming to the Lord. In the 1790s to 1840, Charles Finney and others, what they call the Great Awakening, the second one, camp meetings, thousands met Jesus. The third one, 1857, 1859, sparked after the stock market crash, Of 1857, and a businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear, he's just a business guy, he says, We need to pray. So he started a prayer meeting in the middle of the day. Handful of people start coming, and then a dozen, and then two dozen, and three, and then hundreds, and then thousands. From that awakening, a million people met the Lord. Started in New York City, 1800s. And then the Holy Spirit moved. Happened with Azusa. First, it really happened, started with the Welsh Revival in 1904 in UK with Evan Roberts. And then in 1906, I love this, William Seymour, African-American. His parents were freed slaves. He has this heart for Jesus. He's in LA. He rents this little shack, basically used to be a barn for horses. He rents this for $8 a month, this place. And he goes in there and he begins to pray. And he begins to pray. And he had such a humility he would, While he was praying during services, he had these little carts, um, like a, almost a peach basket type cart. He would put his head in there during the service. So people couldn't see him and he'd just be praying and praying. Well, the Holy Spirit fell on that place. Revival starts taking place. People start coming from all over the place, white and black. People from all different groups, ethnic groups start coming and their hearts are catching on fire. They start speaking in tongues. Miracle after miracle, healing after healing takes place. These early 1900s in Los Angeles. And it's fun to read some of the news reports because you find that uh, people who were religious would go to check it out so they could look down and, and blast this thing and tell everybody how it's not the Lord. And so many times they went and the Holy Spirit's conviction would hit their heart and they would hit the deck and they'd start repenting of their sins, rolling around on the floor, asking God to forgive them, getting filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden having a new prayer language. And what happened from that, it's a little bit like the Moravians. When the Moravians, when the Holy Spirit fell on the, on, in Moravia, well, actually it was in Germany at the time, on Zinzendorf's property in 1727, when the Holy Spirit fell all of a sudden their hearts ignited and they wanted to go and share Jesus with the rest of the world. And they really began a mission movement. Really the first modern mission movement was from the Moravians. Well, similar happened here with William Seymour, with Azusa. These people, the the Lord is in this room and this, this revival lasted for nine years. As people from around the world came and even just from the first year, this tiny little place, 38 missionaries went around the world. These fires of revival started spreading all over the place. And then, of course, the fourth awakening, really, many would call this, some wouldn't, but in the 70s, the Jesus movement. How many of you in here actually were saved during the Jesus movement? I'm curious. Raise your hand high. I'm curious. Look at that. So that was, that was part of that fourth awakening, the Jesus movement. Some people would say, you know, you could preach and preach and preach and People wouldn't listen to the Lord in the 60s. But in the 70s, you could sing Mary Had a Little Lamb and everybody was getting saved. (laughs) The Spirit of God was moving. Those who raised your hand, something happened to you. You were probably a hippie. God got a hold of your heart. We need another one right now, by the way, don't we? In In our nation, we need another move of the Spirit of people getting saved, freed from the craziness they're believing. So only, only the Spirit of God changes your mind and your mindset, and we have the mind of Christ. But you can't have that unless you have him. Amen. And so that's why the rest of the world thinks crazy things, believes crazy things, is living in a crazy way. That could be me. If I were them, I would think like them. So we need to pray for salvation. We need to pray for a, a move of the Spirit in our country and in the world again. It's It's time. So what are we and where are we? I am so thankful for the first three-century believers who carried the torch of faith, of fire, of miracles, of wonders, of of love for the Savior and loving not their life unto death. I'm so thankful for those who lived through the Middle Ages and the, the dark years without having scriptures to read, having that taken from them, yet still holding a faith. I'm so thankful for the reformers, actually, who began to break away from control and point people and actually give us scriptures in in our own language that we could read. Grateful for all of that. But I'm also so thankful for what the Holy Spirit has done through these revivals and these awakenings that I am a, a beneficiary of and you are a beneficiary of. All the things God has done through people, through this history, at the same time, I am not big on labels. I just don't like them. People ask me, they try and pin me down. When I'm at pastor's meetings, this happens a lot. They want to know what, like, are you a Calvinist? No. See, in fact, I heard someone just say recently that they were, they were converted recently to Calvinism. And I, I well, on the inside, felt weepy for them. May none of us be converted to Calvinism. Let's all get converted to Jesus. Right? He is the one. It's not, a, it's not Calvinism. It's not Reformed theology or not becoming it. are you Reformed theology? No, I am Jesus theology. Right? That, I'm not a Catholic. In fact, they'll ask me what denomination I am. And am I, am I charismatic? That's the next thing. Are you charismatic or Protestant? Are, are you Protestant? Are you charismatic? Are you Pentecostal? I don't like any of those. That's just me. Though I'm thankful for what all of those things represent and what has happened to get us here. But I don't like being put in a box. We here's what I am. Here's what I say to people. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what I am. He is my theology. He's the one who has set me free. It's him that I'm following. It's this word that he's given to us that I'm reading. But I don't want to be in a category that is um, someone's formation. Someone formed. So let's all call ourselves followers of Jesus. We happen to attend Awake Church. Right? This is our local fellowship, but I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. And man, I'm, again, I'm so thankful for Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and all of the different things that have happened. The Pentecostals through time. But it's not my identity. It's not your identity. Your identity is as a son and a daughter of the King of Heaven. This is the Kingdom of Heaven that you are a part of. A Kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's what you're a part of. You are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. So if, what are you? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I've been saved. I've been set free. I'm a son, and I'm in this kingdom that cannot be shaken. It lasts forever. I'm an heir. I have authority. We're singing about it today. I love that. The Lord is building his church. It's you, but it's also those with different titles and names, and that's okay. Let's love and appreciate who they are and what, uh, what God is doing in them because we need this whole body to be working together to do what God wants to do. And when I say together, it's Jesus as the head. He's having them do stuff he's not having you do. He's having us do, he's not having them do. And that's okay, let's be okay with that. And let's agree on the essentials, not the non-essentials. Not fight over the non-essentials. That'll be a message here shortly. We're gonna talk about the essentials and non-essentials. Because that's important. You don't wanna major on anything that's non essential Let's major on the essentials. Who Jesus is, who I am in him. He's my identity. He is my identity. He's your identity. So we can learn so much from all of this. You're a saint. Okay, I'm done. Sheesh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I went this long. Lord, thank you for who you've made us to be. Thank you for the history that we have. Thank you for your love that's carried us. Thank you for your spirit that has filled us. Thank you that we are now the Ark of the Covenant, we're the place where you dwell. Lord, I wanna thank you for all those throughout history, the saints, those that you said are the great cloud of witnesses, some sawn in two, some raising others from the dead, many burned at the stake. All of those who carried this torch that came to us were thankful for the fathers and the mothers before us. Lord, I pray that we would all live Every one of us that we would all live so devoted to you, Jesus. Devoted to you, the person of Jesus. Not to a system, not to a formula, not to a format, not to a tradition, but to you and to follow you and live in your joy and live with hope, knowing that the greatest days are yet ahead. You've birthed us to be born and then to live in this time right now. In this day with this government in this country. And for those around the world, some are watching uh, today and they're in another country. Lord, you've birthed them for that moment to be born there, to live there, to shine there. Lord, I ask that you empower believers throughout the the world during this time to, to love you and to love your word, to hang on to you and to follow you. And Lord, let your church arise, let your church shine, let your church glow. May your glory be upon us and let your works take place through us. We love you and say, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful, powerful, strong name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.